Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Before I read our scripture for this morning, I want to introduce our Advent theme. These four weeks we'll be uh, considering one theme and departing from the lectionary. But of course, in order to introduce the theme, I want to tell a story. In the late 1980s, my, uh, my parents moved from our childhood home in uh, Doraville out to Lawrenceville. A lot of reasons for the move. The High school where my sister was a junior was turning into a middle school. It had to do with my dad's commute, several factors. But when my dad was asked, why are you moving from Doraville to Lawrenceville? His stock answer was, well, I read an article recently that said something like 90% of all auto accidents happen within a five-mile radius of a person's home. He said, I figured the safe thing to do was just move. Well, obviously, accidents happen close to home because that's where we travel the most, right? But also, the familiar can cause us to go a little bit uh, numb. We can can get into a lull, into a kind of autopilot around things that are too familiar. You know this turn, you know when that light changes— we just don't pay the same attention if we're dri- like if we do if we're driving unfamiliar roads. So when our routines are disrupted, our awareness increases. So for the Sundays of Advent, I'm moving away from the lectionary for us to look at what I think could be an interesting Christmas theme for 2020, rerouted. I want us to look at the surprising activity of God when people's plans get rerouted, when, when they take an unexpected course. The disruptions of 2020, have, of course, have been terribly uh, unsettling, but they might also be an occasion of God's new work uh, of rerouting, a move away from the familiar if we're paying attention. The the theme runs, of course, throughout Holy Scriptures, but during Advent, I want us to hold up the stories of Christmas where people thought they knew where they were headed. They thought they knew what their day, their week looked like, but the surprise of God created something wholly new. And our first of these stories is Matthew's account of the visiting Magi and I mean, surely their outlook calendar didn't show plans for a trip to Bethlehem. But by God's surprise, in the form of a star, their plans were rerouted. Let's hear together Matthew chapter 2, the first 12 verses. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. 
When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to be shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I might also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, when they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over a place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Herod awakes... He's awake, but he doesn't open his eyes yet. Half in dream, but still not stirring. And the usual morning fears attack. Sometimes these fears are so real and so cold that he feels like he's falling down a long, dark canyon. It's not always the same images, but... A few of his insecurities attack Herod every morning. He's a king, but still insecure. There are more powerful monarchs, after all. He suffers the comparison. He's also fearful because if you've ever played King of the Hill, you know you get to be king till somebody knocks you down. Besides, he's a vassal king with people to answer to, the Roman Senate, the governing assembly in Rome, named him King of the Jews. So trying to shake the dark thoughts, Herod shoots up out of bed, his feet hit hit the cold marble, and he begins to assemble his day, returning to his usual life, fighting the insecurity the only way he knows how. Herod's coping strategy has never gone out of fashion. First, he puts on the regal robes that remind him of his status. He orders people around and he yells peon at those who serve, though he insists on being called Herod the Great. And he reminds himself through the day that Herod the Great rebuilt the temple. Harold the Great created the new aqueducts. Harold the Great, Harold the Great. And he hopes nobody ever knows how small he really feels. So when he sits on his throne, he can assure himself that he's important and he's not a small man at all. 
and the throne is reassuring enough that his breathing returns to normal. Then some diversion on this day, one of the little people, one of the servants, one of the peons came to tell him about royal visitors from the east. The the servant, the doorman, the peon can tell their royalty by their robes, their bearing, their jewels, their entourage. And the visitor's status must have been obvious because they get a audience with the king, even though they are unannounced. Herod the Great. The Magi are escorted along the wide, tall hallways past centuries and art and servants until they are ready to be introduced to the king. And just before entering the large room where the throne sits center, the escort leans over and whispers, he likes to be called Herod the Great. Well, as it turns out, the Magi really don't have time for all the pomp. The wise men from the east get right to it, right to the point of their long journey from the Orient, and they ask, where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? Not a good way to make a first impression to the vassal king who's been appointed by the Roman Senate, who's been named already to serve as king of the Jews, but they have no time to waste. They've been traveling with great purpose for a long, long time. All right, maybe this is time to interrupt our story to say a few things about what we don't know about the Magi. First, I've been using... Kings and magi and wise men kind of interchangeably, we, we don't really know if they were kings or, or astrologers, magi, or if they were just wise. Now, now, they bring regal gifts. They get an audience with Herod, so kings maybe. But Herod calls them wise men, and later in the story they're referred to as the Magi, the astrologers. So we don't know. Also, we don't know if it's we three kings of Orient or not. Matthew never tells us how many. They bring three, three gifts, which is where the tradition emerges. One gift per traveler makes sense, but, but we aren't sure. But one thing is for sure, they're not Jews, They haven't been awaiting the Messiah since they were kids. All right, here's another unanswered question. How does a star point to a house? Another question. Did they all travel together? I mean, did they know each other, buddies from the same town, traveling together? Or did they meet up on the road with others who were following this same compelling star, and as a group they saw each other and said, pointing up at the star, you too? Well, it's not clear. You might know that the poet Longfellow imagined them as being from three different regions and 
gave each one of them a name, and each of the names uh, indicated their heritage, one from Europe, one from Asia, one from Africa, but we're not sure. But here's what we do know. They were rerouted. A star drew them away from what they already knew, what was already planned. They did not get up one morning, check the schedule, and remember, oh yeah, Today's the day we go in search of the king of the Jews. I mean, the astrologers might have been looking at comets and planets, but they were not. They were not looking for the Christ child. And yet, in spite of all their wealth and power and privilege, there is some open space in their souls. There is something unsatisfied Some hunger that the silk sheets and the servants and the plenty of stuff just could not satisfy. They saw a star, a twinkling of something compelling enough to journey from Asia to Jerusalem until they ended up in an audience with Herod asking him, where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. (laughs) And when they ask, Herod the Great isn't feeling so great. Every insecurity floods him at once, scared to death. The scripture says it this way, frightened and all Jerusalem with him. He summons his scholars and his leading priests, and he starts drilling them about what they know about where and when the Messiah is to be born. And they start digging and announce, ha, here it is. I found it in the Micah scroll. It says, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. So, King Best I can tell, it's going to be Bethlehem. So Herod puts on his purple robe that reminds him that he is Herod the Great. He calls for the wise men to come in audience with him, and he's got a plan. He's got a plan that's going to save him some trouble down the line. It's going to save him the cost of deploying the recon men to find the child. Because he can tell these magi are so bent on finding this child, they can just let them do the work, expose the threat, come back and tell him where the house is located. So he tells the magi, the child you're looking for is in Bethlehem. Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. Right. Well, they begin their 23-mile trip south to Bethlehem, still following this transfixing star that leads their quest. They follow until the star lights on top of a humble house, and they know they have found it. They, they take their eyes away from the star long enough to look at each other's faces, 
and recognize that all of them are completely overwhelmed with joy. Isn't this funny? I mean, they had left their lavish, regal life in Asia, traveled who knows how many miles to Jerusalem, then another 23 miles to Bethlehem, to a little house off the beaten path in the West Bank, and they can hardly contain their joy. Their their rerouting has ended in, in an uncontained joy. Meanwhile, Herod does what scared people do. In the daytime, he wears his robes and his rings, and he bosses people around. In the daytime, he builds monuments and orders troops and makes pronouncements and insists on being called the Great One. But it's nighttime again, and at nighttime, the anxiety comes back. Am I really all that great? And what if all of this comes tumbling down? And then he drinks one more maker's mark and he spends another hour on the dark internet and he tries to numb the fear. He wants nothing to change and he is desperate for things to change. It's it's an interesting contrast, isn't it? Herod in the palace, bathed and filled and surrounded by by opulence and sycophants, and and there's a pool out back and horses and boats, and the scripture says that he's frightened. And the wise men, road weary, outside of a Bethlehem hovel. And the scripture says they're overwhelmed with joy. The Magi enter the house and find an ordinary Jewish mother and her baby. They also find the clear focus of their hope. They find exactly what they are looking for. They have found the king of all kings, and he's wearing diapers. The guys who had earlier been in the palace are now kneeling by the crib in Bethlehem and handing over royal gifts, gold out of one saddle bag and frankincense out of a pouch, and they unwrap the myrrh and They found exactly what they were looking for. And kneeling and worshiping and giving seemed like the only appropriate response when you have knelt by the bed of this much love. Meanwhile, Herod is pacing He's walking up and down the long, cold corridors of the palace, waiting for these eastern travelers to come back with news. Likely, he's going to come back and tell them they were unsuccessful. There is no king but Herod. That's what he tells himself. 
Or, or that they did follow the star. They, they found a little shack in Bethlehem with a young Jewish mother. But don't worry, there's only one king. It's Herod the Great. <laughs> but he keeps waiting. Because the Magi have been warned in a dream not to return to Herod. So they leave for their own country by another road. They went to the palace on the way to Bethlehem, but not after seeing the Christ child. They unfold the map and set a new course home, rerouted now on an all-new journey, having encountered the child who represents love in its purest form. Poet T.S. Eliot imagined what they thought when they got back home, when they got back to their old lives. And, and, and here's a quote from his imagining what would be going on in the minds of the Magi. We return to our places, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. They realized how empty their earlier pursuits had been. And after an encounter with the Christ child, they were no longer at ease chasing what does not satisfy. Once you have worshipped, once you have worshipped at the crib of pure love, a love that casts out all fears, you will not chase the same kind of power again. By contrast, Herod goes to bed that night. After another day of chasing his gods, he's bought more stuff, he's made some more royal decrees, he's expanded his territory. And by the time the Magi have gotten home, Herod has ordered the murder of all boy children in Bethlehem who are two years old and younger, whatever it takes to tap down the terror. But the racing anxiety does not go away. The next morning, he's awake in bed, but eyes still shut. His morning fears attack again, and this time they mock him, saying, Herod the Great, And he pulls the covers up real close and high because he is so scared. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.